Hey guys, how's it going? I want to tell you a story about a guy by the name of Joses. J-O-S-E-S. Joses is a Greek name for a guy in a Hebrew be Joseph, which means the Lord raises. Now Joseph was going to Jerusalem for uh, the, the Passover and showing up, I'm sorry, Pentecost, and to to do his duty by showing up at the temple. And on while he was there, a group of these obscure Hebrew disciples began to speak in his native tongue. He, see, Joseph wasn't from Jerusalem. He was a Levite, but he was living in Cyprus. And at, when he was there, he heard his own language. And so he went, went to find out what it was all about. And one of this guy named Peter talked to people and said, this Jesus whom you crucified lives again. And it was all of God's plan. And they said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And he became part of the 3,000 that day who chose to follow Jesus and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And he stuck around. In fact, we know a little bit more about him because later on he had some property that he sold. And then he brought it to the apostles' feet and shared with them so that no one would, would, would be without. Have you heard of this guy before? You probably didn't because you didn't know his name was Joseph. Because as he got to know people and as he got involved in the church, the apostles changed his name. His name was Barnabas. Because he was such an encourager. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. And so as... As Barnabas began his journey, he began to get involved with kind of a late apostle. He had been a persecutor of the church. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul. And they changed his name to Paul. And Paul is the author of the book that we have been reading, the letter that we have been reading this week in 2 Corinthians. Now, if you are just new here, we are going through the Bible in five years. We are in the epistles now, and we've gone through 1 Corinthians. We are now in 2 Corinthians. So why do I talk about Joseph? Why do I talk about Barnabas? I'll tell you why. Because Paul, in his first missionary journey, brought Barnabas with him, and the two of them ministered all around Asia Minor and founded churches. And the more I get to know about Barnabas, the more I realize that Barnabas was the perfect fit for Paul in the first. Because Barnabas is an encourager. 
But if you look at Paul, Paul is not much of an encourager. In fact, he's a little strong. He's, a, he's, he's kind of just a truth teller. Let the chips fall where they may. And you can see this when we've been reading Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians, and which is actually the second actual letter. We don't have the first letter. We don't have the third letter. We only have the second and the fourth. But, but now that's first and second. It's not... Never mind. Anyway... Paul throughout the first letter and starting in part of the, of the second letter, he, Paul is not ushigushi lovey. He's telling you, you need to do this. You need to do this. He's correction. He's doing this about admonishment. He's doing, you're not doing this right. You need to do this right. But then in our reading this week, in basically chapters 3 through 7, Paul loses being Paul and he becomes Barnabas. He becomes encouraging. And it's it dawned on me this week, like, what happened to Paul? Well, it could have been the influence of Barnabas. Listen, after the first missionary journey, and Barnabas's cousin John Mark left in the middle when Barnabas wanted to bring with Paul on the second missionary journey. Paul wouldn't have it. He wouldn't have it. He didn't want John Mark. But I could see Barnabas going, no, no, let's give him another chance because he needs to be restored and needs to be ready to go. And because there was such a disagreement, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways in separate missionary journeys. And Paul ended up with Silas, who I can probably guarantee you was an encourager. Why? Because we in the prison in Philippi, Paul and Silas in the middle of prison are singing hymns in the middle of the night. I'm not sure that was Paul. I'm pretty sure it was Silas. That's my own interpretation, but anyway. And so I want to use this time to read... About 40 verses of chapter three and chapter of chapter four and five of Second Corinthians that, and I have identified not all encompassing, but my personal look at these verses and came up with five things to encourage you, because when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to believers. So you are, if you're a believer, this is for you. If you're not a believer, this is still just for you, because this is super. Encouraging stuff. Why is this important? Listen, I've been doing a lot of talking with people, and there's been a lot of discussion about. Well, you know, Jeremy and you are are two different people, and it's really nice to get two different aspects of that. And so I'm scared when you're leaving, Mark. We're just going to get Jeremy. <laughs> and let me tell you something. There, there is some truth to that. Because Jeremy is a Paul. He is. He is a truth teller. He is a defender of the faith and knowledge of the scriptures unsurpassed in this, in this congregation. Me, I'm kind of the cheerleader. I'm kind of the encourager. In, in generalities, that's 
There's been times I've given some hard messages. There's been times Jeremy's given some hard But for the most part, Jeremy and I work in great complement together. And I've been observing that God deals a lot in dualities. Listen, I'm the encourager. I married someone who is a truth teller. You married someone who's a truth teller, Sam and Lisa. And I think God brings those two together because we do need truth. And we do need encouragement. We need both. We need grace and truth. So we need that mixed together. And I was just thinking about you know, my, my eyesight with my contacts. I have now I'm a con- I have one contact so I can see close. And I have one contact that I can see far. So my my good contact with it has here I can I can I can read stuff up close. And this one I can see far away. And that's a little bit of what it looks like in the Christian faith when it comes to grace and truth. We need to be able to see the truth but then we need to be able to see out in the future and be able to see how God can use these things. And this is what Paul is doing when he's writing in 2 Corinthians. So let me dive right into these scriptures and then I'll come up with the five we are at 11.43. It's going to go a little bit longer than 12. And then we're going to have the elders and their wives come up. So it's going to be a little bit longer today. But you weren't doing anything, right? All right. Let's, let's do this as a body. and Because I, I want you to be encouraged. Starting in verse 4. I mean, sorry, chapter 4. of verse, Chapter 4, verse 1. That's what I meant to say. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not as ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Man, can you hear the song we sang today? Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Right? Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken, since we have that same spirit of faith. 
We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us from, with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead of with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us. For the things done while in the body. Whether good or bad. Since then we know what is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin. Or sin offering. So that we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers we urge you and not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says in the time of my favor I heard you. And in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now 
is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do you hear the encouraging words that Paul is speaking? I mean, half of these verses need to be on a t-shirt. I mean, they're, they're amazing, right? And so, let's look at a few things. So, I've come up with five things. And if you're, if you're scoring at home, if you're taking notes, here are the five things. I'll do that real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into each one of these. Number one, we have a different mind. Number two, we are mortal here for a short time. Three, we have a supernatural destiny. Four, we have an eternal home waiting for us. And five, we can start today. Those are the five. Now, again, this is, you can pull a lot more out of it. But this is, in my humble estimation, five things that need to encourage you as a believer of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the first one. We have a different mind. Paul says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, when one of the things, amazing things that happens when you decide to be all in and give your heart and mind and soul to Jesus and let him be the Lord of your life, something in your mind changes And you begin to see things as they really are. And I think sometimes we forget that with non-believers. We say things to them and they just look at us like, man, you're a wackadoo. And to them, you really could be a wackadoo. But you begin to see things differently because God has changed your mind. And that's a great thing to be able to see truth for what it really is. But it's also a burden. Because you see things and you hear people, oh yeah, this is all great. And you go, oh, this is not good. But know that if you give your heart and soul and mind to Jesus, he is going to give you a heart and a mind that is true. And you will see things in the right way if you apply it to scriptures. All right. Number two. Here's some encouraging words from Paul. You're all going to die. <laughs> he says this. He says, You're mortal. You're all going to die. How is that good news? Well, here's what Paul says. You know what? Here on this earth, Because of sin, we're all destined to die. We're not going to live forever. We're going to die in this. He calls them jars of clay. And that we groan and we moan. Listen, I read this years ago. I'm like, what's this groaning, moaning stuff? Now it's getting me a certain age where there's a lot more moaning, a lot more groaning. And we long to have better bodies. And I think that's not an accident. Because God is showing us that this right here is temporary. 
This is our on-the-job training sort of figure-out life and what that looks like here. And for those of us that have chosen Jesus as a follower, we now have that hope that this tent, this mortal body, this decaying building with which we live in is not our final destination. And that that puts everything in perspective. Listen, there are people running around this world with one fear, and that fear is, I don't want to die. And their whole life is predicated on not dying. This was so exposed when the COVID thing came. People would rather stay home. People would people that they would normally just very gregarious and amazing people were like, oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Really? Christians, when I make a decision, when I base my feelings on a decision, I usually go worst case and best case scenario. What's the best thing that could possibly happen in my imagination? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen in my imagination? Now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, now that I have chosen to live his life, my worst case scenario is never I could die. Because it used to be. That's not the worst case situation. It's not. Because if you die, like Paul says, you're going to be with him. And if you believe that with all your heart, fear of death has no hold on you. I cannot tell you how freeing that is. A few years ago, I had a medical emergency. And I went to the doctor because I was having back pains. It turns out I had blood clots on all my lungs. They said, you could be dead in any moment. Let's get you to the hospital. And they said, you need to go right now. And I got in the hospital. There was like all those people in the waiting list. And they're like, clear out. This guy's going. And they went in there. And I was just sitting there going, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on here. This is crazy. And the technician was like, he goes, you, want, you do understand what's happening to you, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, you're not scared? I go, listen, I'm a Christian. And if, if I die here, big stinking deal. I think I actually said that. And you know what? He looked at me and he said, I know of a lot of Christians that come in here in your position are freaked out of your mind. You are the best example of someone who really believes in Jesus Christ. I said, amen, brother. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> but listen, do not live in fear. And this is why Paul could do these things. He could talk about, hey, I'm, I'm crushed. I'm, I'm persecuted. I'm hungry. I'm doing all these things. Because you know what he says? I'm doing the best I can here. As long as God is my God, I'm going to do what I can to please him. Why? 
because ultimately I'm going to be with him forever. You guys watch Sandlot? Forever. <laughs> and so if that's the case, then all this meaningless little, oh, I'm stressed out because I'm worried about my mortgage rate or, you know, oh, I don't have the right car. Like, really? It changes your perspective from a temporal, momentary view to an eternal view. And when you have that eternal view, you don't get jazzed up so quickly. And you know what? That's when you know that you really believe that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of the living God. If you don't, let that be an indication to you that, okay, there are some areas in my life where I need to get sanctified, get changed. And you know what? That's why God uses trouble in our lives to shape us and change us for the better. So when we get to those points where, God, why are you having this happen to me at this time? You can be like, Thank you, God, because you're allowing this come so I can be stronger and ready for eternity. I haven't got quite to the part like, oh, thank you for trouble, God. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. I am. I can honestly look you straight in the face and say, okay, God has some of this, this something planned here. This is good. Number three. Paul says, we have a purpose. We have a destiny. He says that not only the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Meaning, listen, there are times in my life when younger, get up, go to work, get a paycheck, come home, watch TV, go to sleep, repeat. And I'm like, surely there's got to be more to life than this. In fact, we have an entire book in the Old Testament where Solomon is saying, you know what? All this stuff that I've done is in vain. It's, it's all a bunch of mush. What's the purpose of life? And so, am I screaming? I'm getting loud. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. Um, he's, when you are a follower of Jesus Christ you now understand and realize that your life has more purpose than you acquiring stuff you being entertained that now you have a life that is living because You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for him. And when you're living for him, you're living to help others. And you know what? I've had much more joy when I've been able to come alongside and serve others than I've ever served myself. In fact, when I get focused inwardly, I get grumpy. And I get petty. And I get stupid. But when I am following Jesus and he says, hey, esteem others better than needs better than your own. And you do that. Oh, there's there's something about it. 
and you do a good work, you can know that God planned for that work before you were even born. There's biblical evidence for that. And so it changes your destiny. That means even though you're going through blah right now, you are, you're going through it for a reason. And it's for the destiny to be spending eternity with Jesus Christ. So we all have a destiny. You know, we have lots of people walking around this world who are like, there's no point in living. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God created you for a purpose. And that purpose is a destiny to be with him ultimately. Regardless of what you're going through. That's why, that's why Paul says this. We live by faith and not by sight. That's why he says we make it our goal to please him. That's why he says, for Christ's love compels us. And that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us the message of reconciliation. What would it take to encourage you in life to know that what you are and where you are in your life and where you're living and where you're working and where you're going to shop, you can bring people to the knowledge of reconciliation of that they're destined for hell, but then they have been saved because of what Christ did on the cross. Man, that's life worth living. I'm telling you. And it keeps getting better. And so Paul's saying, don't give up. Number four, God has changed our final destination. We were destined to be living eternally in damnation because we had, we had chose not to be with God and that's what God was going to give us. But because of Christ's Dying on the cross. Living that sinless life. Yet, as Chris said, being the perfect lamb. The perfect sacrifice. We now can have our sins not counted against us. And if you've lived any length of time, you know that you're broken. Have you, have you come to that realization? Because I sure have. And I know I can't fix me. No matter how I try, no how much I lie, no how much I cheat, no how much I medicate. Addiction-wise, I could never get it right. Because I'm broken. But I got fixed. I got fixed. Because I quit relying on my own abilities and I went to the one who could fix me, Jesus Christ. Because he was, he was already not broken. Yet he became broken so that we might have that relationship in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he says it this way, which is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Have you memorized that verse? You need to memorize that verse. Write that down. Circle it. Highlight it. Do it. Say, Pastor Mark told me to memorize this verse. Memorize it. It's a few verses you need to have with you, armed, so that you can be encouraged in times when there's no one else around. And Paul can't tell you. You need to be able to have them here and have the sword in your heart. This is one of them. 2 Corinthians 5.21. The other one is, do not be anxious. Right? Philippians 4. And then the last one is, we can start that righteousness that we that God has given us through Jesus today. Paul says, for today is the day of salvation. In fact, before he says this is the day of salvation, he says this. That just dawned on me this week, and I want to share this with you. He's actually quoting Isaiah before he says this is the day of salvation. He says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. That's Isaiah 49.8. Now, get this. Okay. This was a prophecy made by Isaiah a long, long time ago. That. 800 years before Christ, give or take, 8th century, 7th century. But it's been a long time, okay? When you read this passage, when you read this passage and you decide, I'm going to do that today, you are fulfilling scripture. Now I know all the time Jesus' life and Matthew's really good about showing, well, Jesus did this and it fulfilled scripture. And Jesus did this and it fulfilled scripture. And Jesus is showing over and over and over. Jesus is the Messiah. But this passage of scripture is you fulfilling scripture. Does that blow your mind? But it's true. God made a way for you to be reconciled with him. Not just for now, but for eternity. And you can do it today. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait until you get better. You don't have to wait until you've learned enough. No, no, no. You can do it today. There's no reason to wait. And that's one of the most exciting, encouraging things I've ever heard from Paul. Those five things is Paul being Barnabas. This is Paul, as he's getting later on in life, realizing that I love you so much, I'm being a jerk. I'm telling you the truth because I see things the way they are. But it's because I love you. And I want better for you than you're willing to do for yourself. And can I tell you? That's Jeremy Bannister right there. 
the odd thing everybody talks about. You know, Marcus should encourage her. And Jeremy, oh, he's a little tough. But you know what? One of my most encouraging best friends in this world is Jeremy Bannister. Because I know how much he loves me. He'll speak truth to my life and it will encourage me. Isn't that amazing? That God, I mean, Jeremy's last couple weeks, some of his messages have been so stinking encouraging. I'm like, oh, let's go. All right. Those are my encouraging words today. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, elders and their wives, please come up on this stage. And then when I finish praying, the rest of this congregation come around him and we're going to pray over them. Sound good? Father God, we come before you. Because you are an amazing God. And because a life with you is much more encouraging than a life apart from you. Help us, Lord, to choose today to follow you wholeheartedly, all in. I don't care what it takes, because you know what? It doesn't matter how long I live, whether it's today or next week or 40 years from now. Lord God, you have had a plan and a destiny, and I want to step into it. Lord, help us. Help us to do that. Help us to do it today. Help us decide today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.